The thoughts I have today is teach us to pray. And when you're putting things together uh, for a presentation, a lot of things come rolling to your mind. And uh, I must be honest, I wrote this a uh, year and a half or so ago. And when I was going through, I just felt impressed um, to share it today. And uh, because, again, when you're preparing things, a lot of times it's, it's a Bible study, at least for me. What's something that I'm interested in or what's something that I feel can help me? And if it helps me, hopefully it'll help others. So that's how I, how I came up with this. And today I want to have a study on prayer. It is one of the most important parts of being a Christian, communicating with God who made heaven and earth, who sent us his only son to die so that we all can have eternal life. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Many of us pray before a meal and some remember to pray at bedtime. But what about the rest of the day? Are we too busy to think of the important things in our lives? I mean the really important things? Like am I good, am I good representative of the Heavenly Father? Am I being kind to the people around me? Can they see Jesus in me? For all of the things he has done for me, am I too busy to think of him and tell him thanks for the blessings he has given me and my family? It's interesting in several different ways. Uh, My sister has passed away, but her favorite TV show, and I disowned her because of it, was Dynasty Duck, or Duck Dynasty, whatever it is. But they end their program sitting on the table praying. And they have been criticized, ridiculed for it. And they continue to do it to the point where if they, the network wants them to stop, they're going to quit. That's interesting to take a stand like that and to take the criticism. It's one of those things. Many times when I pray, I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling. You're praying and it's just not going anywhere. Then again, I don't want to bother God. After all, I'm a man. I'm supposed to take care of things. I'm supposed to handle it as an adult. When I'm going along, you go by a church, a lot of them will have sayings out. And Darlene and I saw this one saying that says, men fix things with duct tape. Mothers fix things with band-aids, but God fixes things with nails. There's a lot to that. The SDA commentaries, uh, talking about Luke 11.1, 1, adds that, teach us to pray. The disciples were greatly impressed as they listened to the manner in which Jesus prayed, intimately communicating with his heavenly Father as one does with another. His praying was different from that of the religious leaders of the day, in fact, from anything they had heard. Formal prayer express, expressed in this, <clears throat> by the Pharisees seemed directed at an impersonal God in a great way off, lacks the reality and the vitality that should distinguish prayer. The disciples thought that if only they could pray as Jesus prayed, their own effectiveness as disciples would be greatly enhanced. In view of the fact that Jesus had taught them by precept the example of how to pray, it seems likely that upon this occasion that the request came from some disciples who had now been, been around Jesus a long time. Teach us to pray, 
Jesus responded by giving a model prayer, a parable to illustrate the spirit of the prayer, and some admonition encouraging faithfulness and diligence in praying. Our Lord's Prayer model is in Matthew 6, and it's also in Luke 1. I want to focus on Matthew 6. We all call this the Lord's Prayer, but it's actually the disciples' prayer. We know this because Jesus never needed to pray for the forgiveness of his sins, as he teaches us to do in this passage. <clears throat> Again, looking at Matthew and starting with verse 1. Before, beware of practicing your righteousness. And I like that term, practicing your righteousness. Before other people, in order to be seen by them. For, <clears throat> for then you will have no reward for your Father who is in heaven. We talked about that just a little bit in Sabbath school this morning, about doing things just to be seen. And here it's saying, that don't be so obvious about it. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as, as a hypocrite's do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I don't want to get political up here, but we were talking about this at work. I'm sorry, I got a cold thing going here. Do you find it kind of interesting when a company or a person, an individual, brings the press to say, okay, I'm giving you a check for $10,000 or I'm giving you a check for 20000 or whatever. But a lot of times, the ones that do it anonymously, I shouldn't say a lot, the majority of the people that do it anonymously, If I knew who they were, I'd respect them a lot more than someone that's just saying, hey, look at me. I just gave all this money. And that's, that's, that's how the Pharisees were praying. Going back to verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the, the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say unto you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray that your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. But when we say that, we've got to be a little cautious on that, that you don't, every time you want to pray, you have to go into a closet or into a, uh, a secluded place. In the commentaries, E.G. White <clears throat> writes in his, uh, for verse 16, that they are, there are times before us that will try the souls of men, and there will be, and there will be need of watchfulness in the right kind of fasting. This will not be the be like the fasting of the Pharisees. Their seasons of fasting were occasions of outward ceremony. They did not humble their hearts before God. They were filled with bitterness, envy, malice, selfishness, and self righteousness, while their heads were bowed and in pretended humility. They were covetous, self-righteous, self-important. They were oppressive, exacting, proud in spirit. I think she nailed just about everything that was there. So these were the leaders. Were they the right leaders? Were they strong, good leaders? No. 
Everything in the Jewish service had been misrepresented and misapplied. The purpose of the sacrificial offering was to be perverted. It had been perverted. They were to symbolize Christ and his mission, that when he should come to the flesh, the world might recognize him, might recognize God in him and accept him as the world's redeemer. But their lack of true heart service for God had blinded the Jews to a knowledge of God. But exactions, ex, extractions and ceremonies and traditions were the sum of, of the religion. They had the knowledge, but they didn't have the relationship. They didn't know him. So the disciples asked Jesus, not the church leaders, teach us to pray. Truly, this is a model. Jesus did not say, this is what you should pray. He said, this is how you should pray. This prayer wasn't meant to be mechanically repeated. Of course, it is not wrong to use the actual words as a prayer, as long as they are prayed from the heart. Pray like this, not just repeat. Going back to Matthew 6 and verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty, empty, phrases, empty phrases as the Gentiles do. The New, the New International Version says, babbling like the pagans do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Does a prayer have to be long and drawn out and on your knees? No. Some of the most effective prayers have been when you're driving or when you're walking or something. If you ever get to Colorado Springs and you're wondering, besides all the mountains and all the grandeur, what around here is worth seeing, go to Focus on the Family. They have a fantastic campus there. And uh, I've had the, the privilege of going there three, four times. And it's, the setting is fantastic. When we pulled in there, Darlene and I were just, we couldn't believe this. And then we went inside, and there's a museum there of um, uh, Dr. Dobson. And uh, it's not, again, being proud. It's, it's showing how God has worked uh, through him and for him. And when you walk in, they have a theater in there, and when you're walking into the theater to see the, um, the, the short um, biography, there's this statue of a man kneeling and, and not in a worldly way, but kneeling. And I was wondering, what is that? And I looked at it, and it looked kind of rough in places. Well, when I went in and saw the movie, that was Dr. Dobson's dad. He was a pastor. Every pair of shoes he ever owned, he wore the toes out from being on his knees and praying. That really hit me, to wear out a pair of shoes from kneeling and praying. That's, that's devotion. Verse 8, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth that <clears throat> what things ye have need for before you ask. If, that, if we truly believe that, then why do we ask? We'll get a little to that. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. I'm going to break the Lord's Prayer down a little bit here. It starts out, Our Father which art in heaven. The opening words, Our Father which art in heaven, settle the issue of our relationship to God. 
the one we address, the mighty, majestic, sovereign God of the universe, is indeed in heaven. But to his children who come to him in, in prayer, God is a loving father. His earthborn sons and daughters will nevertheless always be aware of his infinite majesty and greatness on their own utter, of their own utter insignificance. It's not, O Mary, Mother of Jesus, bid your call. No, it's our Father. We go right to the top, right to the man, right to the decision, the decision maker. The next is, hallowed be thy name. We ask God to hallow his name. We ask God to move in this world in ways that will bring him glory and honor. By men honoring him as God, and according to him the wor- according to him the worship and obedience that are his due we have we hallow his name by acknowledging his holiness of character and permitting him to to reproduce that character in us and it's not just allowing him or permitting him it's asking thy kingdom come is a prayer for god to establish his reign in people's hearts and minds your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven Ask God to help people submit to his will and willing to complete as the angels do in heaven. As the, as the kingdom of heaven is in the Sermon of the Mount, Christ here speaks not so much of the kingdom of grace as the kingdom of his glory, for which the kingdom of grace prepares the way in which it culminates. In the minds and the hearts of true Christians in all ages and the blessed hope, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, has never been uppermost and has been inspired them to holier living. Then it goes on, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When human hearts yield to the jurisdiction of the kingdom of divine grace, the will of God for them is accomplished. The request is that is for the end of the reign of the sin and for the arrival of that moment when God will when the will of God will be universally accomplished upon this earth. <clears throat> it is throughout the other dominions of God's creation. A couple of weeks ago, I was in, in New London, and I was visiting with Dr. Walt Thompson. And I think everybody knows who he is. He was for years the chairman of the board on 3ABN. And he stepped down from that position. He's still on the board. I was talking to him, and, and he said to me in a sincere way, he says, you know, we are so privileged and it's so exciting to be living when we're living. And in Sabbath school, prior to that, we had been talking about other things and, uh, you know, what's happening in the world. And I looked at him and he could see my confusion. And he says, really, he says, we are so fortunate because we've been saying for years the end is near, but it is. We're seeing prophecy being fulfilled faster than it ever has been before. And he says, we are so lucky we are this close. Maybe we can see that happening. And I, I looked at this, this gentleman that I have known for years and seeing the, the confidence and respect that he had, it was assuring to me that that just really made, some, made a point with me that instead of being scared, or instead of thinking we need more goals, personal goals, that we need to focus on the important things. This model prayer consists of six petitions. The first three are concerning the focus on God. The, three, the second three are concerns focusing on human beings. 
This ordering of petitions reminds us that God should have first place in our life. But what way, excuse me, what by the most surprising about the first three petitions is that God wants us to pray about concerns that focus on him. God is perfectly capable of hallowing his name, advancing his kingdom, and enforcing his will without our asking him. But God chooses to operate in response to our prayers. So much, though, that he asks us to pray for these, his greatest concerns, so that he may glorify his name, bring his kingdom, and enforce his will and answers to our prayer. That makes our prayers tremendously important. You know, we're in that holiday season again, and people come up and say, you know, it's more precious to give than to receive. Of course, the older you get, you understand that a little better. But that's... That's what is what I how I refer to that is it's more precious for us to give to to give the honor for our life to God. When Christ was asked which is the greatest commandment, teacher, the response was what is written in the law. He replied, "Do you not read it?" The rich young ruler answered, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength." and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this, and you will live. Of course, he wasn't happy with that answer. The Ten Commandments are written in the same context. The first four to honor God, and the last six focus on the care for humankind. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Going back to Matthew 6, verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread. Petitions 4, 5, and 6 focus on the personal human needs that Jesus taught us to pray. Give us today our daily bread. Reminds us that God cares that that our bodies and wants are provided for our physical needs in response to to our asking. But what our physical needs are, what our physical needs is different for different people. Some people it's a new car, a new house a new coat, whatever. But that's not what referring to. It's our daily bread, not our weekly bread. The children of Israel in the wilderness were given manna daily and on Friday two-day supply. Their needs were supplied daily, one day at a time. Sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking from you. Just give me today and show me the way, one day at a time. There's a lot to that. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts is the prayer of Christians who come into a wonderful new relationship with God and want to be rid of the sin that might hinder that relationship. The old has passed away. Now the new life begins. The meaning to forgive is probably based on the idea that the repentant petitioner is sent away in peace. Debts is used in a moral spiritual indebtedness where sin is pictured as a debt and the sinner is a debtor. The parallel verse in Luke 11.4 uses the word sin as we forgive, implying that we dare not ask for forgiveness unless and until we forgive our fellow man. So that's getting personal. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil is the prayer that God will sustain us in the face of temptation that come from the forces of evil in this world and try to lure us away from God. Does this mean that we should live in a bubble? 
No, the petition should be perhaps be understood as a request. Do not permit us to enter into temptation. I read a story about this this elderly man, you know, my age, and uh, he lost a lot of weight. His doctor says, I'm going to call him Ralph because I don't think there's a Ralph here. Uh, Ralph, your health is bad. You've got to lose weight. Blood pressure is high. Everything is getting thrown off. You've got to lose some weight. So he steps up. Okay, I'm going to lose weight. He goes on a different diet. He's exercising. This is going on for months, and he's, he's feeling pretty good about himself. He goes to the doctor. The doctor says, man, you're doing great. So on his way to work, he's singing, you know, Lord, I've been really good on my diet. And Lord, you know every day I go by this bakery. And if there is a parking place right in front of it, I'll know it's okay to stop and get a donut. So he continues on, and he prayed in deep sincerity. And uh, when he gets to work, his coworkers say, Ralph, what, what happened? What took you so long to get to work? He says, oh, I, I, he says, you know, I had an answer to prayer. And he told them, you know, I prayed to God that if he wanted me to stop and have donuts, there'd be a parking spot right in front of the bakery. I had to drive around the block eight times, but I found it. <laughs> so lead us not into temptation. But there's still some common sense mixed in there somewhere. This part of the Lord's Prayer is sometimes understood as a plea to God to remove all temptation from us. But God's promise is not that we should, we should be protected from temptation, but that we shall be protected from falling. Too often we willingly place ourselves in a way of temptation. Truly to pray, lead us not into temptation, is to renounce the ways of our own choosing and to submit to the ways of God's choosing. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory of God forever. Amen. The kingdom, the power, and the glory here ascribes to the Father certainly included the present kingdom and divine grace in the hearts of men. But look forward primarily to the glorious kingdom to be ushered in with the return of Christ into his earth to reign in power and glory. To his disciples, Jesus said, This then is how you should pray. Are you his disciple? Then this is how you should pray. The first part, to honor God. The last part, to help others and then yourselves. And remember that the last shall be first. Stephen Hill it was part of the, uh, the Gaither homecoming and uh, uh, the homecoming tour. And uh, he claims he had a good relationship with the officers. He liked to speed. So he was living in, Nash- he lived in Nashville and uh, he had a recording that he was, uh, the session he was going to at nine o'clock in the evening. And uh, he was, looking forward to going. And uh, so he figured, okay, i got to pay attention to what's going on. He put the CD track in, and he was singing along as he's going. And uh, he looks in the mirror, and, it's, and there's the cops pulling him over. He can't figure out what in the world's going on. And so the cop pulls him over and, and says, you know, give me your license and, uh, you know, the registration and everything. So he starts handing it out, and the cop says to him, do you know why I stopped you? And he says, I have no idea. I know I'm not speeding. 
And he says, no, you weren't speeding. But uh, at this time of night, when people are driving 55 in a, in a 70 mile an hour speed zone, they usually think they're going to drive slow so they don't get caught and get a DUI. Says, oh, I'm not drinking. I don't drink. And the officer says, okay. And he gets, the, gets his information, looks at it, and he says, you're Stephen Hill? Yeah. I know you. I like your music. I really enjoy your music. I can't wait to tell my wife that I met you. This is really great. And they converse a little more. And then finally he says, you know, Stephen, my wife and I, we're having some, some issues. We're going through some tough times. Would you pray for me? Stephen says, yeah. He gets out of the car, goes around back, and they're praying right there as the trucks and stuff are going by. He's praying right there. And when he got done, the officer hugged him and says, man, thank you very much. Stephen Hill goes on with the story. He says, the reason that I did that, he says, years ago, Vestal Goodman and I were talking, and I, and I said to her, I says, Vestal, I need you to pray for me. And she said, there was a lot going on. And she stopped dead in her tracks, spun right around, and started getting to it, starting praying right there. And when they got done, Stephen says, why did you do that? And she says, honey, when someone asks you to pray, they normally mean right now, not next week sometime. And Stephen said, that's stuck in his mind. So when, when the officer asked him, he did it right then and there. Stephen Hill died in the summer of 2012. He was a Baptist minister, husband, friend, and a friend of many. But that is a neat story. There's, to be honest, everybody in this room needs prayer. And I know most of us try to take that into consideration when we're praying. But we really, besides being a church group, church member, we're still a church family. And we, we need to remember that, that there's, there's people in our church, even though that they're Christians, we're Christians, everybody needs prayers. I just got one more story and then I'll close. <clears throat> this is a story, uh, it's a neat story. Ellen White's prayers were also clearly remembered by people who heard her pray. HMS Richards Sr., Voice of Prophecy, uh, program founder was a teenager in 1909 when he heard Ellen White pray at a camp meeting in Boulder, Colorado. Richard recalled that he sat in the front row right in, right in front of the pulpit where Ellen spoke. After finishing her sermon, she says, I want to pray before I sit down. Richard was impressed by the fact that she started praying by, Oh, my father, not our father, but my father. He said it was as though she was talking with a personal friend. In fact, he recalled that the prayer was so intimate and so moving that he was afraid to open his eyes of fear that seeing God standing right before her, right before him next to Ellen. Soon Richard said quiet sounds were heard in the audience and women and men were repenting of their sins. A great revival spread over the audience as Ellen as Ellen's prayer was heard. As Richard summed up the story, he said that Ellen, when Ellen White spoke, she was a dear, sweet grandmother talking to people. But when she prayed, God honored her. 
Prayer is an expanded version of the Lord's Prayer. Excuse me. Pray an expanded version of the Lord's Prayer daily for the next week and reflect on some of the ways in which God is responding to your petition. Imagine God, for example, making his presence felt in the worship service, hallowing it, blessing it, blessing the crops, the sunshine, giving bread, giving Christians the strength to resist temptation. All of us jeopardize our own prayers when we don't pray from the right heart. If you ever feel as your prayers are not being heard, examine your own heart and ask God to create in me a clean heart and to clearly reveal anything that you might need to confess before him. Then that joy that David felt will be your joy and our joy. Joy as well as will join us as we come near to the heart of God. Lord, be with us as we leave today. You're our Father in heaven waiting for your children to come home so we can hallow you here and there. Your kingdom is coming soon, Lord. Be with us as we go home today and thank you for the food that you have supplied for us. Help us to forgive those around us so that we can be forgiven. So that we can draw our hearts nearer to you. And Lord, I'm asking myself, are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you faithful in all that you do? Have you fought a good fight? Have you stood for the right? Can others see Jesus in me? That's my prayer, Lord. I pray in your name. Amen.